They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is Pamela Hood. Pamela was born in Cochabamba, Bolivia, where she studied industrial engineering. Ten years ago, she came to the Netherlands as the recipient of a scholarship and obtained a master's in management, economics and consumer behavior at Wageningen University. After her studies, she moved to Amsterdam, where she works now in marketing in the educational sector. The last seven years, Pamela has been involved in various activist causes, from fighting for more democratic processes within the European Union to being involved in an organization called Taste Before You Waste, which collects food that is going to be wasted and uses it to cook meals with. She further helped to organize the Women's March in 2019 and participated in actions organized by Extinction Rebellion, a global environmental movement that uses nonviolent civil disobedience to convince governments to act justly on the climate and ecological emergency. Pamela is a feminist who says that feminism saved her. It gave her a new perspective on life and in her relationship and gives her the strength to fight for a better future in which women and other marginalized groups won't be silent. She asked me to introduce her with a feminist quote that she first heard from Maria Galindo, a Bolivian feminist, who says, Our revenge is to be happy, or in Spanish, Nuestra venganza es ser felices. We will obviously talk about feminism today, climate change, and the next generation that will not be silent. Welcome, Pamela. I'm very happy that you are here with us today. Hello, Estela. Thanks for having me. Yes, a pleasure. So yeah, let's start with the usual question. Who are you? Who is Pamela? Okay. Well, uh, I'm Bolivian. Uh, I define myself always with my nationalities. Good to know where a little bit of your background. And um, I came to the Netherlands 10 years ago. I came to study. I did my master's here and uh, I'm currently living in Amsterdam. I live in Amsterdam for seven years. Um, I'm married, married um, a Bolivian man as well that came to study uh, to the Netherlands. And we actually find the Netherlands uh, our second home. It's, uh, it's been a long uh, process for us. But um, actually, I have to say, uh, we, we, we always felt at home here. I guess that is, um, yeah, because we are both uh, these kind of people that like to to learn from wherever we are. And uh, and we learn here a lot, especially because it's so different from our background. So we keep a, a space in our lives uh, very faithful to who we are, to the Latin American traditions and things that we like. And we tend to learn what is good here. So um, it was a very nice um, yeah, process here. And um, what else? Well, 
after uh, I lived in in Amsterdam in the city center for some for a long time, but now I'm I came to Eiburg, which I find very nice. It's full of water and and that's um, yeah very Netherlands. Uh, besides, um, yeah, besides that, I, I also, since, since I, since I moved to Amsterdam, I started to be very active in different, yeah, different activities, uh, especially uh, activism. At the beginning, I, uh, I joined a political group, a pan-European political group that was a focus on uh, raising awareness for a more democratic decision-making processes in, in, in the different countries of the EU. We had, um, yeah, it was a, a lot to learn. We organized a, a lot of events and we did a lot of things with that. But yeah, politics was uh, something very, very intense for me. And um, after that, I, I always, was in, uh, always was interested in, in environmental topics. So I joined as a volunteer also for an organization called Taste Before You Waste. And Taste Before You Waste is an organization that tries to raise awareness about the amount of uh, wasted food, in, especially in the developed countries. And um, we collect once, once or twice per week food that otherwise would be wasted, and we cook din community dinners with it. We show, I mean, we let people pay whatever they feel like and in that way we raise awareness but we also show people that actually you know it's, it's an illusion on these these <laughs> many cases there's nothing wrong with that food and, and and it can be totally used so i did that for almost um four years and then i started also to be very active in a lot of actions uh, with extinction rebellion until 2019 that that was just before the covid crisis that um, yeah, I also participated in an in an action and I got arrested. So it was that that was also another process. But I've been very active in different areas of yeah of my interest, let's say. And obviously, I'm a hardcore feminist, <laughs> and that's why I'm here. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for the introduction. Maybe just uh, one question about Extinction Rebellion because probably not everybody knows this organization, if you could just say briefly what it's about. So Extinction Rebellion, it was born in London, and the objective of Extinction Rebellion was to raise awareness about the existential threat that climate change is for humanity. So we know at this moment how much I mean, data there, there is about the effects of of, of uh, CO2 emissions and other greenhouse emissions into our atmosphere and how much this is affecting our climate. And this will definitely affect not only the climate, but we depend on crops to survive and um, we will be affected. And, and obviously it's not going to be an equal, uh, not everybody's going to be equally affected. So at this moment, climate change is not only like an existential threat for all of us, but it's unequally distributed. Yeah. What we want to do is to push governments to take action and to take action in a democratic way. So there, uh, the Extinction Rebellion wants them to take radical action and they want to include the citizens in the debate about what we're going to do afterwards. So, yeah, it, it, that's Extinction Rebellion, and it has spread across the world. 
Uh, started in UK, as I said, but now we have a very healthy community here with a lot of actions. It was it was very intense before COVID, and it's not only in in Europe. It's it's all around the globe. It's it it is quite impressive uh, movement. Yes, thank you, Pamela. And of course, we will now dig deeper into a lot of different things related to your introduction. You told me, or maybe I saw it on your social media account. Those who only have individual aspirations will never understand a collective struggle. And I want you to elaborate on that because I find the statement very important. And because, yeah, I think you will elaborate on that. So I will not say much. So, yeah, tell us about um, your take on this and also how this statement influences your activism. Sure. So... I really like this statement, uh, although I hope that it's not completely true, you know, yeah. because it, it says like only those that, yeah, those who only have individual aspirations will never gonna understand this. And of course, we hope that everyone at, at one point understand why it's important to live in a community. But with that, I mean, is that uh, with, with, with that, with that phrase, Yeah, I mean that uh, that people that only cares about like this focus uh, on their as on their individual objectives. Let's say I will just have a house, I will have a, a car, and I will have this, and, and and I will buy that, and I will, you know, like everything that has been in a way. I will I will say it. It has been indoctrinated to us. It has been taught to us. That that's what we need to have. That's what we 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 want. If we're too focused on that, we will not be open to a collective struggle, to a, to 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 the collective um, to the collective needs. So a, a collective fight needs also to um, to realize that uh, I mean needs a lot of empathy. Need to realize you need to realize when you are fighting for a collective objective. Let's say a better, let's say very very basic, uh, a better payment for everyone. It needs it needs you to understand that your reality is not the only reality that matters. That other people suffer the same or even worse than you, and like for to fighting for 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 a better quality of in this case payment, you will you will achieve you know things not only for you but for 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 everyone else however in our society and this is very very interesting is that for 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 the current system that we live in so capitalism it's very it's very important to keep us away from each other because in that way you know it's it's, it's not my problem you know the poor are poor because they want to because they don't work for it You know, I keep on uh, focusing on my, my my things. Yeah, for focusing on earning more, buying more, having more, and I don't care about others. And we don't realize the whole ecosystem and how all these other forces are are set up. Yeah, we are not. We cannot live individually in this planet. So, and I think also if you have this individualistic approach. Another benefit, let's say, of the capitalist system is that you can commodify many things. I'm always saying, imagine we would create our own community daycare. So one day I take care of the kids because I'm free. The next day my friend does it for the kids. We have a group. We wouldn't have to pay daycare anymore. 
You know, everything has been commercialized. Everything has to be paid. Everything is commodified. What about community kitchens? What about collective care, taking care of each other when somebody is sick, you know? There's so much that we could do collectively. And this would also foster more empathy, more compassion. And I also think more happiness to people because we are relational beings. We need each other. And this has also been lost. So, yeah, yes. I just wanted to add this. No, I also I totally agree, Estella. I mean, for me, is a, a it's very is we we humans will learn from repetition. You know, we are taught things, and we 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 very very not very often we question things. It's a very big process to question things, especially so when been, you have a good life. <laughs> exactly. So we've been taught, and not only we've been taught like since the beginning of our lives, I mean, contemporary uh, history, that we will be happy with a house, mm -hmm. and, you know, like with yeah. a massive house, yeah. with two cars, with a boat, with traveling, with a full closet of things, you know. We don't, we don't talk about collective happiness anymore, collaboration, these things, because... Because it's easy. I mean, we, we, we've been, in a way, indoctrinated or thought by cap capitalism. Eh? And of course, it sounds good. If you think about it, in, in like two or three generations before us, our grandparents didn't have many things. So it sounds good. It sounds good to finally be able you know, to have all of these things. But, you know, it's, it's a very long road from like a scarcity to what we are now. So I, I think you are completely right. I mean, uh, 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 the system is, some, you know, it's, it's something like a, like a black hole. The system teaches us, we fall into that, and it's very difficult to get out and say, hey, you know, I'm really happy to have what I have, and I really would like to have more community things. You know, let's make a community garden or a collective community uh, daycare or, or something like that because we don't associate these things with happiness anymore and Pamela and you already said it also at the beginning you are a feminist and you told me that your feminism goes hand in hand with the environment with environmental activism so tell us what feminism is for you why it is important to you and how you link it to the environment so for me uh, feminism is justice sisterhood, healing, and peace. So for me, those are very crucial words because uh, that was that is the reflection of what feminism has been in my life. So it has been a process of understanding the injustice that I've been submitted to just to, to be a woman, just to be born a girl. And then I also have found a lot of women that have felt the same. So it was a process of understanding that it was not my fault and understanding that there's a lot of more women that have been through that. And that brings me to a moment of healing to understand that because it has nothing to do with me or my fault or, you know, understanding that it will, it will bring me peace. And, and this has been like amazing, amazing path and has influenced in, in so many aspects of my life, not only individually, but also in my relationship. I had, uh, I, I have, I'm, I'm very, very happy to have a partner that understands this process 
of learning and unlearning because you have to unlearn a lot when you start to question things. And uh, he has been a great ally and, and companion, I can say. Obviously, he, he comes from, an, I mean, he's a man. He cannot understand everything. And this is, this is one, this is another thing that why we, we you know, the reason why I, am, I keep active on my feminism is to get those things out of the generations, you know, to pass, yeah. it, pass it on other things to new generation of men. So um, he understands a lot and he goes with me and that has improved my relationship a lot. A lot because we're able to question a lot of things together. That's great. That's beautiful. That, yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's amazing. Obviously, it must it must be very hard for him as well because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's <That's>, hard, eh? <laughs> but I've heard this from many uh, of my feminist sisters, and I also see it with my own partner. You know, yeah. there is a th there is a change, like. He sees now more and more things, you know, because of the yeah. things that I've been telling him. He becomes more sensitive towards certain things. So, yes, I understand. Absolutely. And that's beautiful. And you also told me, like, as I said in the, in the introduction, that you are very much interested into ecofeminism. Yes. So um, to, to, to elaborate a little bit on that. Yes. For me, ecofeminism, well, for, for, for the ones who don't know, ecofeminism is, is one, fe it's, it's another feminism. There are many they, feminisms. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That, that I told you before, uh, Tela, I, I love that about feminism that nobody owns it. Nobody owns this movement, you know, maybe as many feminists as women in this planet. And this is lovely. I love it. So ecofeminism is, is another one uh, that sees, yeah, that sees uh, animals, plants and the ecosystem as a subject with, that needs rights. At the moment, we don't acknowledge that like the ecosystem, so plants, animals and how where we, we coexist in this world. They have rights. We don't. We don't, we don't see them, we don't care about them. It's like a, a little bit, you know, like in terms of the food industry, but yeah, maybe dogs and cats, but not, nothing else. So ecofeminism starts to, to, to questioning, you know, from, from the point of view of the basics of feminism, you know, like we are oppressed because we are women, And uh, and then we start to questioning other oppressions, you know, like oppressions of race or oppressions of class and oppression of many other oppressions. So why don't we question in the the, the why well, we don't question the oppression of species? I mean, we are not the only ones in this planet. We we are not the superior race that has to own everything and rule over everything. So ecofeminism starts to question this other layer of oppression as well. And they want to, to fight. I mean, the women, the ecofeminists, they want to fight for the rights also of the, like to the recognition of the rights of uh, animals and plants of this world. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's, 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 it's a very in interesting branch of, of feminism. And obviously, it takes, a, <laughs> it, it, it is as any questioning process, it really takes you on as well. Because also, I mean, we have the questioning 
our food, uh, our eating habits, our like consumption patterns, everything. So it is another another thing that we we need to to question. Yeah, basically. yeah. It also for me so important environmental justice, right? If you also sometimes look where do where do certain countries bring their garbage. <laughs> They bring it to the poor countries or where do certain communities live? They live maybe close to factories, close to polluted water. Uh, they don't have access to supermarkets, right? So that to me also is a feminist issue. So env environmental justice and also what you just said. Definitely. You have a very nice episode in intersectionality and how these oppressions are layers, you know, yeah. the layers of oppression are, yeah. are, are intertwined. Definitely environmental, uh, uh, you know, environmental justice, as you say, you know, climate justice. It's a matter of also of, uh, you can say it, poverty, mm -hmm. you know, because We think about it in, in the poor in the poorer countries. The when there is an environmental disaster, there is less resources to help and to regenerate those parts. So they 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 keep on devastating. And if you think about how are we intertwined in the world with globalization, so. For example, I mean, it's, it's very hard, I mean, for me too, to say it because I have to question it myself as well. We all love avocado, you know, avocado, and we want avocado in a lot of things. And so, so avocado is one of the biggest reasons of deforestation in Mexico. And the ways that, the, 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 you know, that you, we take advantage of the poor people that, you know, uh, works in, in, in terms of agriculture, in agriculture in Mexico, to uh, produce avocado, which half of that is wasted in the process. And then, you know, like we, we eat it here and then it comes to the supermarket and then we waste half. So it's, it's a lot of unfairness in terms of uh, the way that we deal with our ecosystems in the whole world. And what I really like about uh, environmental activism and ecofeminism is that points out, you know, like you cannot get away from it. You know, you, you see it right away. It's like, because we live in the, in the world, everything is connected. If there is like deforestation in the Amazons, we will get, you know, like the effects in, in, the, in our oxygen levels in some years, definitely. Yes, thank you for saying this. Sure. It's uh, it's really important that it also shows there's so much that we have to question and there's so much that we have to learn and there's so much that we have to do, you know? So, yes. As you mentioned a few times already, you are from Bolivia. <laughs> and here in the Netherlands, you have a group of Bolivian feminists, like you're Bolivian feminist immigrants, you live in the Netherlands, and you have this dream of sharing knowledge, And I want to know more about the stream and its significance. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're not that many. We're a little group. But yeah, so the thing is, everything is, is, uh, was born out of how do we experience feminism? How do we, 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 we see it? I mean, your background makes, obviously has a, a big impact on what kind of feminist you are, you know, what kind of causes you are uh, related to. And uh, At this moment, in, in Latin American countries, especially in Bolivia, the feminist groups are evolving in a pace or, or in a direction that no narrative can fit. So the current political narratives, the representation narratives 
they cannot fit what is happening in the Bolivian feminisms because the reality is much different um, from what is what happens in the structure of power, you know. So it's so it's, it's such an inspirational um, path that is that the or, or inspirational process that is happening there, not only in Bolivia but in 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 South America in general. And the the amazing thing is that we all understand each other because it, that we share the same language, and we would love to share that with the feminists here in Europe. I think that is so valuable to open our minds to the processes of other women in different countries. I mean, I love to hear the experiences of feminists in the Middle East, for example, because their narrative also doesn't fit any political narrative that we can hear from the power structures. And and I think it would be so amazing that we could share. I mean, amazing or, or ironically enough, we will use the colonizer colonizer language to communicate with each other but we will yeah i mean it will it will be amazing to share these experiences yeah for me i'm a big um, advocate of transnational feminism as you said earlier there are many different feminisms so transnational feminism is something that really speaks to me and i also think it's and one of the reasons is because there is no one feminism and there is not a global sisterhood and there is not this idea of because we are women, we are all oppressed and we suffer the same oppression and we are fighting for the, for the same things. No. And this is very obviously white feminism. And it's also, I think, a feminism that kind of is maybe a feminism that capitalism would embrace, you know, mm -hmm. like this idea of, yeah, we want to, we all want to work. We want to have um, better salaries, but this is not everybody's fight. You know, um, somebody's fight might be feminist fight might be, I want to have access to clean water. Um, I don't want you to cut the trees, uh, especially in the indigenous communities that you mentioned. This can be another feminist fight. So there are a lot of different feminist fights. It's against the heteronormativity. It's against capitalism. It's against imperialism, colonialism, globalization. And I think it's really important because sometimes you have people saying, but well, we don't need feminism anymore. Women work now. Uh, women can go to university. But that's not what feminism is about, you know. It might be one of the demands of feminism, but there are a lot of other things. And uh, yeah, I find it really good what you're saying. There has to be a lot more dialogues across borders and also to be aware of what you said earlier. Um, different communities, different people suffer different oppressions and some people are more oppressed than others. So it's important to look at race, gender, ability, class, location. Where are you located? Where do you live? And yeah, and also being aware that those positions can change, right? You might have a comfortable life and suddenly you have a war in your country. So everything you have changes from one day to the other. So that's really nice. And um, no, it's not, that is not really nice that this changes, but I think what I meant is really nice that we should enter into more dialogue with each other. There has to be a more solidarity for each other. Um, that's what I wanted to say. And Pamela, what's your favorite book? Oh wow! I yes. mean, I know you have many. Well, Stella, that that's always a a, a very a, a very 
a very difficult point in your program. <laughs> Everybody can, nobody can stick to one. Of course not. But but I can say, okay, so I will say it like one, one of my favorite feminists is a Bolivian feminist called Maria Galindo. I already cited her. She has one book, well, she has many books, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading now um, her book called, you cannot, I mean, it's called The Deep, patriarchalize urgently so smash the patriarchy ur urgently and she talks about this thesis and she talks about what she calls the failed um, feminist uh, revolution and what you just mentioned about this white feminism and this idea of, uh, of uh, I mean this illusion of some women that they they occupy as a, a seat in the negotiation table of patriarchy they don't I mean, they want to have that illusion because it's it's comfortable for for the system to keep them like that. You know, look at this. We have women here. You know, we are mere uh, biological quota everywhere. You know, there are women there. There are women there. It's like we are not represented by those women. You know, no. we are <laughs> because they are still I mean, they are still oppressing. They are still starting wars. They are still marginalizing and exploiting people. So that is not feminism. Yes, exactly. So like the idea is to re um, reimagine a new system. I mean, if women ever get to um, a position, an equal position, or a, at least you know a position that we could call like just, you know, we offer we we need to debate and to completely re reformulate this this relationship of power that between humans and power between people and power we cannot do the same as men have done in you know for <laughs> for as long as we can remember of civilization yeah. So I, I really love this book. She she questions a lot. She is a very is sometimes she's, she's difficult to read because she she changes subjects. But it, it's it's a very nice book. Very very recommended. I like it very much. The second one I will say is the Caliban and the Witch, but Silvia Federici. And this book explores the relationship between human women exploitation, women's bodies exploitation, and the relationship with capitalism. So it explores it from the beginning. So the beginning of capitalism and how it was necessary to keep off exploiting uh, humans' uh, bodies as a cornerstone of capitalism. You know, like our work, our unpaid work amazing it's like it's so naturalized the idea that women's unpaid work is not work it's it, it's it's amazing and it's very obviously very comfortable for patriarchy so very very recommended very nice book i i will i will recommend it always and the last one and i want to ask uh, I, i want to say sorry to all the feminists that might be listening because i'm i always um Uh, talk about women but this one really deserves a special place it's called behave by robert sapolsky for me these these books have changed completely the ideas that i have about human behavior i mean the way that we look at each other and the way that we act it's 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 really it, it, it's it's amazing i cannot believe that at this day and age with all the knowledge that we have accumulated in neuroscience so how our brain works how our bodies work we cannot include that in our laws um, who has been your salt pamela who inspired you well um, well, I have to say that in terms of feminism, I, I definitely have to say that that uh, Maria Galindo is one of my 
main inspirations. I mean, she's a stream of inspiration, but a lot of rage as well. The rage uh, because she points out a lot of things that are really in, in uh, you know, you, you feel it's, it's such an injustice, but at the same time, you feel that you want to kill her because you're not agree with her and she's just talking and talking and talking. And I think she wouldn't like it any other way, you know, because one thing that I do like about these figures, when they become and they, and they acknowledge that they become role models for someone, that they, that they push you not to be the person that represents you. She always says... Not to adore them. Exactly. And I don't represent anyone but me. And we sh I mean, I think there's a great yeah, path to go, you know. I create my own ideas. I take what is nice from this one. I take what is nice from them. Then I develop more. So I... I, I, I love that kind of process, you know. I, I, I really like that. So I would say that, um, yeah, she's, she's a very controversial figure also in my country. I know if my family hears that, they will be, oh, my God, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I heard that your mom is in love with her. I'm being no. sarcastic now. Well, it's, 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 it's totally true. But it's, <laughs> it's not, on, not only, it's, it's like the whole society, I mean, Bolivian society is a very macho culture, super conservative society. And, you know, even though, you know, with, with all these, you know, we were talking about this indigenism thing, it's, it's completely patriarchal society. So whenever a woman is screaming about injustice and she's a lesbian and, you know, she, she doesn't fit into the role models, everybody wants to, you know, like, oh my God, what is this person doing here? So. Yeah. She's a very controversial woman in, in my society. Yeah. Yeah, you tell me. <laughs> Maria. Maria. Maria Galindo. And Pamela, to whom do you want to pass the salt and what do you have to say? Well, I have to say that I want to pass the salt to all the women I love, especially to my nieces, but also to my nephew, you know. I, I wish them like a non-patriarchal, a less patriarchal future, you know, something that I always tell my, my sisters and my sisters-in-law and my cousins and friends is like, whatever is like, we, whatever we see that is completely terrible that has happened to us, you know, that we have um, copied from the other, like from our parents, let's make it end with us, you know. Let's yeah. die with us. Let's to break, to break exactly. the intergenerational narratives, trauma. Yes, exactly, exactly, Stella. Let's break it. Let's let's die with us. Let 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 it die with us. You know. Yeah. And let's give them another future. Yeah, yeah. What is your question for me? <laughs> well, actually. In those lines, I wanted to ask you about how is your experience to raise boys as, uh, you know, in your feminism and as feminists, you know, like as a, in, in, the, in feminism? Yes. So maybe for people who don't know me or this is the first episode that I'm listening to, I have three boys and one girl. So your question obviously is very personal. I am raising boys. So... There, there are different things that I do that I consider feminist, let's say, for me. For instance, I talk with my kids very openly about that I have my period. What is it? What is happening to my body? What does it mean? 
let's say now we were in, in, in the summer on holidays. I got my period. So I would say, no, I cannot swim today. Why, mom? Because I have my period. Okay. For them, it's like, yeah, okay. Our mother is bleeding. You know, there, there is nothing weird about it. Nothing disgusting, nothing shameful. Of course, when I first told them about it, they were like, oh, does it hurt? Why do you bleed? Where's the blood coming from? You know, but I explained it to them and it has become something very normal to them. So that's one thing. I, I will give you some very practical examples. I talk very openly to them about birth. Um, they have seen photos of women giving birth, like really photos with all kinds of positions and things. And it all started when I was pregnant with my daughter because they were already at an age that they understood, okay, our mother is pregnant. You know, we really lived the pregnancy as a family, which was really nice. And uh, we watched certain videos, uh, like more scientific videos with what is happening actually when a woman gets pregnant. Um, also for kids to explain it. And, and of course, at first, again, they were like, oh, what is that? You know, like, but now they look at it and they're like, oh, that's birth. So let's say I'm on Instagram and, and I look something because I follow certain uh, people that talk about birth, certain doulas, midwives, and they see a photo. For them, it's also like something natural. So I don't want them that this is something disgusting, you know, or that the vagina is something disgusting. Of course, they also know some babies come from the vagina, some babies come from the belly, you know. So this is another thing that I talk to them about very openly. I also have told them about femicide um, this year. We went together uh, with with my kids and a friend and her kids to the, um, it was not a women's march. Um, it was like, uh, because I was doing an internship at the time. So on that day we went on strike um, because they were saying um, we don't celebrate uh, Women's Day, but we go on strike. So we went to an event that my um, supervisor was also involved with. And there were like people speaking and there were photos of women that had been killed and there were also men holding actually this banner with the photos. It was uh, from Iran. And I explained to my kids what this is all about. I told them about femicide. We had a lot of femicide cases this year in Greece, many. And I've, I've told them uh, about it. And uh, yeah, that's another thing. I can give a lot of examples. I'm also trying to teach them uh, about consent. It's a little bit more difficult, um, like not only with touching or kissing, but also when somebody says stop in a fight that you have to stop. But of course, it's more difficult because when they fight with each other, there are so many emotions, you know, they want to sometimes just beat each other up. So you have to be like, stop means stop. Don't touch means don't touch. When your sister doesn't want you to cuddle her, you don't cuddle her. But I think when they get older, I will be able to explain these things better to them because I see also, I mean, they're six and seven and 10. So some things they still don't understand and they're very much led by their emotions, you know. I want to have my toy or these kind of things. Yeah, I've talked to them also about slavery. We've talked to them about racism. Of course, their father being um, a person of color uh, and their grandmother as well. So these are topics that that we discuss also at home. And yeah, I think also the, the fact that they see that um, in our household with my partner, we are sharing the chores. It's not just their mother cooking. It's not just their mother cleaning. It's not just their mother doing in brackets, um, women's work, but it's their father doing that too. We are doing that together. Yeah. So these are some things. The other day, I also told them not to do this kind of pss, 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 pss to women because we were watching like a series, a Greek series, and there were some men doing that to the woman. I was like, I got so upset, you know? And I told him, don't you ever do that. Why mom? But he's in love with her, you know? So I say, no, you don't do that to a woman. You never do. Pss, 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 pss. So 
of course, the older they get, the more I will explain, but I'm already planting the seeds, you know. So these are just some of the examples that I can give. Obviously, I can continue, but I think I will stop here. I think it's great. I think I think those things are so great. Thank you for this question. I really yeah. like it. And thank you for the conversation. We are now at the end um, of the podcast episode. And today I want to honor uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, because I think she really fits into the overall topic of today. I want to honor her because of her honesty, her grassroots activism, for staying true to her convictions, her values, by being in the political space in the U.S., um, I think this is something really difficult. And I don't think you find these kinds of, of traits in that sector, in the political sphere. As you also said many times today, the political narratives of politics are so far from us, from what we experience, from marginalized communities, from women, from all kinds of people and all kinds of situations, the environment, not just human beings. As you said also earlier, we are not the only people in this world and we live with the environment. And, and she's so close to all of this. And to me, she has really paved the way for a political culture th that wasn't there before. And she has her people. She has created this, um, how do they call it? The gang, right? With the, with her other, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. Ilan Oman and, and everybody else. And I think she has created something that wasn't there before. And she has not only inspired and influenced the, the US space, but has gone far beyond that, reaching out to all of us and not just to, to politicians and her emphasis on community, on solidarity. I, I really love it. And also her social media presence, her Instagram accounts. She's, she's so close to us, you know. So I want to finish with a quote. She says, capitalism has not always existed in the world and will not always exist in the world. So let's, yeah, let's go for that. <laughs> let's go, so. let's yes. go so. Adding to that, I read one, one graffiti that was really like very related to what she says. Like, who would have imagined from the top of the Roman Colosseum that the Roman Empire wasn't everlasting? Yeah, yes. So there is hope. There's, There's hope, hope for our environment. For There's hope for for equality. For yeah, justice, justice. social <laughs> radical justice. Actually, yes. I will say that. So yes, so thank you, Pamela, for taking the time to speak to us. I will upload, of course, your information um, on my website and on my Instagram. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And if you've been enjoying Salt, I would love it if you could rate the show on Apple Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could share it on your social media to bring yeah, more listeners to Salt and also share the message of today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Stella. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Pamela. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.